Hi, my name is Pastor Drew. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Emmanuel, and I also have the privilege of being able to deliver and give you guys today's message. It is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, so if you have your Bible, uh, open it up with me here today. Uh, today we are looking at the, what the teacher calls the fool, and the teacher uh, has this picture in mind that we see in chapter 9 that he touches upon, and he looks at this fool and then kind of extrapolates and draws a number of conclusions because of this. Uh, a modern fool, as described here, uh, can be found in a show called The Great. Now it's Amazon Prime put this TV show out. I don't recommend watching it or encourage you or condone it. However, it does depict what a fool really does look like. Now it is set in the 18th century and it's captures the story of Peter, who married what would go on to become Catherine the Great. And Peter is this, he is just the epitome of a fool. He is out of touch with reality. He's wise in his own eyes. He is foolish in everybody else's. He's hot-tempered. He's petty. And he's willing to exhaust his whole army for the sake of little gain. Now, this is the fool. All right, now with that in mind, let's pick up what the teacher has for us in chapter 10, verse 1. Here we go. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk around the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sword of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stone may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. So in this passage here, we have three targets. We have first the fool, then the wise, which we'll touch upon briefly, and then us, the intended audience, the one who he, the teacher is trying to help us to understand, and he's trying to warn us. And the intent of this passage is to warn us as the reader away from folly and to become more aware of our own bent towards it. So we have the fool, and he says that a fool in their actions and in their speech, has this smell to them. It's, it's like this pungent, nasty smell. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. And basically, from their hot-headedness, um, their impulsiveness, and other places that the Bible describes, they're disobedient, self-centered, arrogant, um, and they have a rash disregard for God. And the actions of this foolish ruler and foolish people, they put uh, low-capacity people in high-capacity places and high-capacity people in low-capacity places. 
when he's talking about here, it gets a little confusing about the slave. He's not talking about necessarily our modern context of slavery, but more so that he, you take the powerful people, the people that have the ability to make difference, uh, to bring wisdom, and he, this ruler is putting them in the lowest positions possible. And it is foolish, and it is, he takes it so far to call it an evil. And this behavior to him is pungent and nauseating. A good smell will bring back memory. It, in fact, has been proven that if you want to remember something, a smell will bring it back stronger than anything else. That's what jogs the memory. And with a fool, he's saying, remember. There's a smell to them, and it should be avoided. A fool should be avoided like a bad smell. Now, I don't know about you and bad smells, but uh, I typically think of a fish. Now, if you've smelt fish, it just kind of gets everywhere. Anything that a fish touches, it just spreads like the plague amongst the house. So when you have fish in your house, it's very clear and it's very distinct. Um, and you typically want to get rid of that smell as soon as you can afterwards. A uh, story from when I was younger. I was just a kid at the time, and my brother came home. And he was kind of excited. He kind of had this smirk on his face. It's, for a weaver, that usually meant, means something not good is coming for someone else. And he said, Drew, jump in the car, come with me. And so he went downstairs to the freezer and he grabbed a couple things. I didn't know what they were. And so I get into the car and we drive down the road and there's my brother's friend's car. And my brother goes to the back of the car and gets what is fillets from a couple fish from the previous summer. And he opens the door because it's the prairies about 20 years ago and no one locks their car doors. Uh, and he proceeds to hide the fish in the car. One spot in the front, and then in a second spot in the back behind the seats. Now what happened is it started to smell, and it started to smell bad, and it's the smell of dead, rotting fish, of dead flesh. And so my brother's friend found the stuff in the front right away, but not the stuff in the back, because he thought it was the lingering smell. And he had this memory of my brother, and uh, this memory of what he had done, and it was continually reminding him until he found the dead, rotted fish about three months later. And the teacher here is saying, it's like that. A fool is like a bad smell that no one should want to be around. They lack sense, and they show everyone how stupid they are by when they try and walk in the plans that they make. Now, sometimes people have what seems to be good ideas. And then someone wiser will usually sit down and start to talk with them and ask them questions. It actually becomes pretty apparent quite quickly of just how foolish a person is by what they say. It becomes clear that they don't have the expertise or experience to actually be able to pull anything off. And this is their actions but their words. Linguistically speaking, in the Hebrew here, it, it gives more of a sense of bad breath. It's a pouring out of the mouth, and it's like deceitful speech. And when a foolish person is talking, it's like really bad morning breath plus the rotting flesh kind of smell. If you could imagine that. Maybe you've smelled that before in um, morning breath. I hope you haven't, but it's awful. And he's saying, when just being around this person is 
awful. And what's even worse, it's like spewing out of their mouth as they talk. This is the foolish person. So why is a person like this? What, ha- what has happened? And the teacher says that their hearts are inclined to foolish action. And we get this in verse 2. And it's actually a heart issue. When a person acts and behaves and talks like this, it's actually a heart issue. And he's saying that the heart is inclined to the left. No offense to any left-handers. But to go to the left in biblical times is to be dishonorable and is to act in a way that's not safe and not to bring about safety. That's the fool. And in contrast, you have the wise person who leans to the right, who goes in the right direction, who is honorable, that brings safety, that brings security. That's the wise person. The third person that this teacher is talking about is us, the listener, the target audience. And he's taking us from verse 1, and he says, a little can spoil the lot. That we are to be like a perfume, something pleasant, something that when it's in the room, it's beautiful, that it's almost tangible. If you've ever smelt the essence of flowers, it's like being in a mountain where there's flowers and it's beautiful. When the rain comes, you can smell it. It's something pleasant. You want to be there. And he's saying, a person... And we kind of get this throwback to Genesis 1 of this beautiful creation that's uncorrupted. And it's just lovely. And he's saying, we are to be like that. A beautiful scent. Something that people want to be around. But a little folly, a little corruption of the character over time changes that smell to rotting flesh. And where does it all start? It starts in the heart. The heart is to be considered the center of the person. Charles Briggs describes it like this. It is the center of affection, the seat of knowledge, the source of purpose and emotion, the very soul of the spiritual life. And the question being posed to us is this. What is my heart inclined to? What is my heart inclined to? Are you leaning towards or away from Jesus? Are you leaning towards growing in your appetite, in your knowledge of Jesus? Or are other things winning out? How much time on your phone compared to your time spent with Jesus? How much time spent about talking about other people instead of talking to Jesus about them? How easy did the last relapse come? How easy was it to give into your last temptation. How easy has it been to complain and to grumble about others, about our circumstances, about where we're at? So last week, uh, during my devotional time with God, uh, I was left with the conviction that I needed to pay attention to how much I and those around me grumbled. And over the course of a few days, I was surprised by just how often we really are not aware of our own grumblings of our own complaints, of our own hearts, and, and that, the fact that we're leaning that way. And I've said several times how easy it can be 
Why is it so easy? What's happening? It's the fact that we are leaning and that we're inclined. And the side that you lean to is the direction that you stumble to. Life will come, life will bring things, life will throw things at us, we will have difficulties, we will have challenges, we will have what we call tribulations, we will come up against things. And the side that you lean to is the side that you stumble to. Let me say that again. The side that you lean to is the side that you stumble to. To the foolish person, they will stumble to the left, they'll stumble to failure, they'll stumble to responding wrong, they'll stumble in acting in a way that is sinful, that hurts the heart of God and hurts their relationship with others. Where the right person, when those things come up, they will, because their heart is inclined in a different direction, they will respond right, they will act right, they will talk right, they will live righteously, they will how they respond will not bring them into sin and will not hurt their relationship with God and will not hurt their relationship with others. And it all comes from the incline of their heart because of the way you lean when that thing comes, when those things come, is the way you will stumble. But let's be honest, we all stumble. We all get tripped up from time to time. And that is where grace comes in. And we're told to have patience, and I will get to that in a little bit. And when it comes to wanting to go in the right direction and to live righteously, it can be a struggle, but when we do it more often, it's considered like right living. And the Bible calls that righteousness. Paul describes it uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 like it's a breastplate. It's a sheet of steel or metal across your vitals. And Paul uses this this imagery so that it articulates for us that when we live right, we are actually protecting ourselves from more grief and kill shots to our spiritual life, to our relationship with God and our personal growth and getting to know him more and becoming more and more like Jesus. That's righteousness. And in doing so and knowing more and learning and becoming more like Jesus over time, then we actually even know how to respond, like in verse four here, to a foolish person. And then after kind of a confusing part of the passage here, the teacher offers us two pieces of advice when it comes to the incline of our hearts and making sure it always leans to the right. The first one, is in verse 10 here. Now, I'm just going to put a disclaimer. Um, You might not fully agree with me in how I come to understand these passages. That's okay. Uh, From the commentaries I looked at, none of them really agreed with each other anyways. So if you have a better way of understanding that, that is perfectly okay. But this is what I think we can walk away with today. The first one uh, is in chapter, or verse 10 here, and it says, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Now, we want to learn wisdom. It would be really foolish, no pun intended, to not want to learn wisdom, and many of us will do things in our lives to try and grow in our wisdom. And what the author is saying here is we need patience. The teacher says we need patience. I don't know if you've ever sharpened a knife before. Um, I hate a dull knife, so this is one of my hunting knives. And um, 
I, I hate a dull knife. Like, I can complain all day about a dull knife. Because what happens is, as you try and work with the knife, and if it's dull, you actually add more strength. And what the majority of people who cut themselves with a knife happens, and what they're doing is they're adding more pressure, and finally when the knife goes through the object they're trying to cut, they cut themselves. And he's saying, be patient. And what happens when a knife gets dull is what typically happens is the top kind of gets, or the top of the edge kind of gets warped a bit, and then as a person applies more pressure, the edge actually gets bent. And when we go through life, we are like hitting and using our blade, using our knife, and we, we get dull. And he's saying as we, as we come back, as we reflect upon the world, when we look at things, we can gain wisdom, but we need to be patient. That when we look and observe what's happening in the world around us, that we need to be patient for the wisdom that comes from that. When we look at our mentors and we go to our mentors to gain wisdom, which is a great thing to do, he's saying, be patient. If you haven't been able to find a mentor, be patient. If you haven't been able to apply what your mentor has taught you, be patient. Be patient for the result. Be patient as you grow in wisdom. And then when we look at scripture, that we need to be patient as we learn, as we read, and as we reread the scriptures time and time again, and we learn more and more every time we read the Bible. Some people have read the Bible several times in their lifetime, and that's a beautiful thing. And it, because just going to the sharpening stone once is not enough, because over time and over use, we get dull, and we need to go back, and we need to get resharpened. And we go to the scripture, and he says, be patient. Unlike they had in the days that this was written, we have the Bible and we have access to the Bible. And for our own questions, we don't have to go to a priest. We don't have to go to an expert on the Bible. We can read it for ourselves. And when we do so, we need to be patient. We need to be patient in coming to those answers. If our questions don't get answered right away, if our doubts don't immediately go away, we need to be patient. As we learn wisdom, we need to be patient. I'm the first to say that I'm not a very patient person a lot of times. And for my own wisdom, there's how many times when I go throughout my day, let alone a week and a month and a year, where I go, ah, come on, Drew! And I get down on myself and I beat myself up because I knew better, I should have responded better. But what has happened is over time, if I don't stay on it, I start leaning the wrong way and then I need to go back, I need to get sharper, I need to go through and I need to get leaning in the right direction so that when I do get hit, when I do stumble, when I do come across those things that I stumble in the right direction, that I respond rightly. The second part here that also can be a bit confusing is verse 11, it says, if a snake bites you before if a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Now this part is a little confusing. And basically what he's saying here is don't grab life before you're ready. And to be ready, you need to start charming that snake. You actually need to begin. You can't just go up to uh, a snake 
that you find a viper and grab for it, you need to start charming it right away. You need to start working on it right away. Don't put it off. James says, he who knows what he ought to do and does not do it sins. That means if you know what you should do and you know that you should get a mentor, you know you should take more time meditating and reflecting on the world around us and how God is showing up through it and how he is still loving, how he is still great. Maybe it's even in your scripture reading. Maybe you need to go and read the Bible. Maybe you've put it off. Maybe it's been a while since you've come back. And he's saying, don't put it off. Because in life, when you go to reach out to take hold of it, If you keep putting it off, it will bite you. The third part, which I'm going to add because this was written in the Old Testament when not every believer had the Holy Spirit. The third part to making sure that we stay inclined in the right direction, to make sure that our hearts are inclined in that direction so that we respond right, is that we need to lean on the Holy Spirit. Now this is something specific to believers. Ephesians 1.13 says, everyone receives the promised Holy Spirit upon confession of your faith as a mark sealing us to the day of our redemption. Everyone receives the Holy Spirit. And uh, Paul says this and takes it a step further. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Doesn't that sound awesome that not only do we have this heart, the center of affection in us, but God also comes in and starts working in us from the inside out. So that as we struggle with things and as we fail in coming to respond rightly and wisely, He does a work in us. He strengthens us. He equips us. And as the author of John puts it, in chapters 14 to 16, it's very clear of how he guides and counsels us. To what end, though? Because we can be Christians and uh, live rightly and righteously, but to what end? The answer is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and I love it. It says, for we are God's handiwork. He's creating in us. He's making us. We're his handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are being prepared. That Our hearts are being inclined and realigned. We are being prepared to do a work in advance. There is purpose. I don't know if you, if you struggle with purpose. If you struggle with responding right, but God comes in and gives that work purpose. It gives us a future where he goes, don't worry, be patient. It's going somewhere, be patient. Keep leaning to the right, keep coming back to me. Keep trying to sharpen yourself, be patient. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit and trying to listen to him and obey his voice in us. Maybe some of you have a hard time listening to God. Maybe at one point in your life you did really well at it, but it's been a while. Maybe you've done a really good job of drowning them out with background noise. Now, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like for you. But are you tired of it? Are you tired of failing and struggling to find that purpose in life? Let me encourage you to do this. Allow God to begin or resume that work in your heart. And if you want that, pray with me.
God, we mess up. We blow it. Our hearts are before you. They're always before you. You see what's in there. You see what's going on. And we pray, God, that you would change our hearts. If it means coming back to you, help us to be bold, to be strong, and to take those first steps. If it's coming to you for the first time, Jesus, change our hearts. Help us to confess what we need to to come before you as we are in our mistakes and change us and make us and bring us from that place. We ask this in Jesus' name. In verse 1, though, there is a warning that we can spend our whole lives living honorably, but if we allow our hearts to drift to folly, we can so easily undo the progress that has been done. My mentor a number of years ago was really hard on me in making sure that I understood that I needed to leave well. If I was leaving a ministry as a volunteer or leaving a church as a pastor, that I needed to leave well. That the years that I had spent trying to be a pleasant smell, trying to build the kingdom and to make an impact and for God to use me to make an impact, that I needed to leave well. And many of us, when we leave ministries, when we leave churches, we don't leave well. And what happens to all that work, all that pleasantness that we have have been a part of, for all that kingdom building, for all that ministry, if we don't leave well and we act like a fool in the end, it taints the whole thing. That in people's memories, it taints that whole thing. And there's how many pastors and preachers out there, how many youth leaders and youth workers out there that had a phenomenal ministry and in the end, they didn't stay sharp, they didn't act wisely, they act wrong. And it tainted the whole thing. So let me end with this question. In the end, will you allow God to make you into a pleasant smell or gross scent that no one wants to be around.